Good. Let's open up our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, all the way down to chapter 9, verse 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23, Matthew records, when he, speaking of Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? You have little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demonic possess, or demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Fear can be paralyzing, can it? I remember several years ago, while I was leaving a sporting event, in fact, it was a University of Kentucky basketball game, I was leaving, and if you've ever left a, a sporting event coming out of, a, of a, an arena, there's a mobs of people. In this case, 24,000 coming out of the arena. 
And I remember I was walking through the, the mobs of the crowd. I was on the sidewalk just coming out of the arena. And one of my friends had spotted me, unbeknownst to me. And he began to stealthily work his way through the crowd, worked his way up. And before I could realize that who was in front of me, came out of the crowd, grabbed me, thrusted his hand into my, my, my stomach as if he had a knife to stab me. And I remember fear came all over me. Some of you are like, goodness, what kind of friends do you have? They're great. Fear came over me. I remember it was as if the world stopped. I, 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 all the adrenaline rush, you know, you've heard fight or flight. Mine was frozen. <gasps> And then I realized, it's just a joke. Good. I remember thinking to myself, I'm such a wuss. Uh, I could not defend anyone if I was attacked. So you've got a great one, honey. <laughs> Aren't you glad that we don't uh, constantly live in fear of being stabbed or being afflicted or assaulted all the time? However, the, you know, as, as that experience maybe brings things to your own memories, fears are real. Fears can come over us and they affect us deeply. They can control us, whether they, they paralyze you or cause you to, to run or, or a host of other uh, emotional responses. But it's a good news that we, we don't always have to fear such horrible things that I did, but but fears do nevertheless control us. And when we're driven to fear, this is an idea that I want you to be thinking about. When we're driven to fear, such fear for us as believers drives out our faith. Fear drives it out. What do I mean by that? When fear consumes us, we, we, we go blank. We, 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 we forget everything. We, we begin to doubt, say, Christ's goodness toward us. We chuck that out the window. We, we call that into question. We, we forget his promises. We're not thinking of things in, in the future. We're thinking about the here and now. We, we begin to doubt his power, that he can do anything to help us. And consequently, when fear begins to grip our hearts, when it begins to consume us, what does it do to us? It causes us to, to go into despair, doesn't it? To go into hopelessness. Maybe that's where some of you are today. Maybe you're, you're gripped by fear. Fear of the, the present, fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of that doctor's appointment. You're gripped by, by many, many fears. And, and at the moment, maybe you feel hopeless. You feel that you have nowhere to turn and that your faith it's weak. Maybe you're even questioning, do I even believe it all? Maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. Well, this passage has good news for you. It has good news for all of us. Because we've, we've, we've either been there or we will be there when fears begin to grip us. And this passage is good news that, that even those who have little faith, as we see the disciples in the storm on the boat, even those who have little faith, their prayer is still heard. Their prayer is still heard. And so when trials come, and in, in reality and in truth, they will. 
We who know the Lord, here, here's the thrust here, we who know the Lord must not be driven to fear. That's the exhortation that Jesus has given the disciples. We must not be driven to fear, but driven to Christ, pleading with Him, crying out to Him to deliver us and to increase our faith because we know He's mighty to save. And so this is the question that I want to pose to you this morning. How do you grow in faith and drive out fear rather than allowing your fears to drive out your faith? How do you do that? It's something easy to say, yeah, have faith, don't fear. But how do you do that? Because you need to know how you do that now before you're in the storm, before trouble comes your way, or else you'll panic, you'll forget, and you may be driven to despair. Simply put, we must see Jesus for who he truly is. And that's what this passage is doing for us in three separate accounts. We are seeing the authority and power of Jesus. We're seeing who this one is. We're seeing who the Son of Man is. The one who comes with all the divine prerogatives and authority of the Ancient of Days. And we see that he is the Christ, the Son of God, who, who possesses all divine authority over all creation, over the demonic forces of evil, and even the curse of sin, your sin. And it's by this authority that he has secured a salvation for us, a deliverance for everyone who trusts in him, for everyone who rests in his authority over their life. So let's expand upon that question, or at least how to answer that this morning. How do you grow in faith and drive out fear rather than allowing your fears to drive out your faith? Well, first, you must learn to rest in Christ's authority or Jesus' authority over creation. It's Jesus' authority and power over the creation which is put on full display here in verses 23 through 27. Thus far, you, 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 if you remember, if you've been with us, the, the disciples have, have uh, been following Jesus. And, and, and in the previous passage, 18 and through 22, Jesus has given orders to go to the other side. We're, we're going to hop on a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Well, these disciples... and. And, uh, and scholars say that these boats had just about enough room for 13 people. Well, you got Jesus and 12 disciples. They're in the boat. And they've tangibly taken steps to follow him. They, they have, in essence, they, they've counted the cost, at, at least in some measure. They've heeded his call to follow, and they've proceeded to enter the boat with him. But now they're going to learn what it means to truly trust him. Because up to this point, they've witnessed Jesus cleanse the leper. They've witnessed Jesus give a word by which the centurion's servant is, is healed. They've, they've seen Jesus cast out demons, heal the sick. But it's one thing to see Jesus do this in the lives of others and then to see him do it in your life. And so this is their first lesson. That when you follow Jesus, trouble will come. Trouble will come. And you will be tr you'll be forced to trust him. So they're going to learn. They've heard him preach on the priority of the kingdom. 
how they should not be anxious for their life in Matthew chapter 6. They believed him, but, but their faith at this point has not been tested. Faith at this point hasn't been pushed. And so we see that as Jesus and his disciples proceed to cross the Sea of Galilee, a great storm develops. One whereby the, the waves begin to envelop the boat. They begin crashing over into the boat. Have you, have you ever been on the ocean when a storm is about to come? I have. And the waves are massive. For one moment, it seems that all is calm, and then all of a sudden, you look to the right of the boat, and there's a 30-foot wall of water, a swell, and then all of a sudden, your boat goes up, and you look down, and it's 30 feet down. And that's just when things are manageable. They're in a great storm. The waves begin to quickly swell. And the disciples, they were experienced fishermen. They knew what trouble they were in. It was, as Matthew pointed out, a great storm, not just a storm. And to top it all off, as these things are happening, they turn and they look, and, and Jesus is asleep. <laughs> He's sleeping in the boat. Is this how it often feels for you when trouble strikes? God, are you sleeping? Do you have any clue what I am going through? That's what they were experiencing. You're in danger. You're, you're afraid. And, and God seems distant. This passage is for us, isn't it? Because we, while well, we haven't been in the boat, and I saw by the looks of your faces, you haven't been on the ocean in the midst of a storm. But you've been here, haven't you? Maybe you are here, and this passage is all very familiar to you. Jesus really was asleep. He really was asleep, but here we see both his humanity and his divine nature on full display. Jesus is exhausted. He is worn out. He is passed out in the boat being tossed by a storm. Notice, it's not even the water crashing into the boat that wakes him up. I, I, don't, I think I would have woken up. But he's utterly exhausted. He is spent. Some of you are exhausted. I can tell you're already asleep. And you had an extra hour this morning. But you know that feeling of just utter exhaustion as if you cannot go any further your Savior experienced that. Your Savior can sympathize and empathize with your weaknesses. He's been there. So Jesus is asleep, but Jesus doesn't fear. There's some comfort there. He's able to sleep through the storm. Why is Jesus able to sleep through the storm? Because he knows the Father's will. He trusts the Father's will. And in particular for him, he knows his hour has not come. He knows there is a divine timetable at place. This, he's not going to die in the storm. His appointed time to die is later. The disciples, on the other hand, they do fear. They, they fear they're going to die. And wouldn't you? I would. You see it in their cry for help. Save us, Lord. You could just imagine them shaking him. And, and when he comes to... We're perishing. 
To which Jesus responds, and you can almost feel the tone. Everyone's freaking out. And he's just like, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Was it wrong for the disciples to cry out for help? Is he rebuking them for crying out for help? No. There's a sense in which they do have faith. They know who to go to, but, but he can see their panic. You can see their panic. They were panicked, and they had allowed the fear of death to completely overwhelm them. And it's as if they had forgotten all the sermon points. You'll never forget my sermon points, do you? It's as if they forgot all the sermon points. As if all that's been chucked out the window now that they're on the journey. They could not see beyond the moment. They were forgetting who they were with and that he could not possibly perish until all things are accomplished. They had become anxious. But even their prayer of little faith was heard, though. And Jesus, by the word of his power, he rebukes the winds and the sea. And the text tells us there was a great calm. See, the disciples thought things were absolutely out of control. Everything is coming undone. What are we going to do? And Jesus, by a word, says, what were you worried about? Did you think that somehow my heavenly Father had lost control? He uses this moment not to teach them, hey, you don't have to worry about ever having any trouble and I'll just come to your rescue like a genie if you just rub it right. That's not what he's talking about. I'm showing you my power to let you know that while things may get crazy, and they are, don't ever for a moment think that somehow they're out of my control. That's what he's showing us here. So when they see Jesus calm the storm, their fears are turned to awe. And they, and they marvel. And they say, who is this one? Who even the winds and the sea obey. Have you ever tried getting the winds and the sea to obey? Have you ever tried to get your trouble to obey? It doesn't work, does it? But when Jesus speaks, there's a calm, submission. Do you sometimes feel that the chaos and trouble that comes your way is out of control? That Jesus is absolutely unaware or maybe even unable to do anything for you? We see in this count that even the trouble of the world, why do trials come? Why does trouble come? It's to drive us to him. Because left to ourselves, when everything's going great, we trust ourselves. The trials are meant to drive us to Christ. Yes, to save us, but actually more so to trust and rest in his divine authority. That all the things of creation are under his hand. Not the waves, not the storms, not the changes in the climate, nor just natural troubles which come your way are somehow out of his control and purview. They are accomplishing his purposes. 
even his purposes for you and me individually. Nothing is out of his sovereign control. And so it's when we ponder, and this is what the text is drawing us to, to ponder and meditate on his divine power. Do you do that? Some of you wonder, why, why is my faith so weak? Because you don't ponder. You don't think deeply about these things. You're not reminded. We, we skip over, yeah, he calmed the seas. Oh, he cast out the demons. He healed the paralytic. I, I got my Bible reading done. I've heard this before, but do you marvel like they did? That's what the text is drawing us to, and we shouldn't move on until we do. What sort of man is this? Who is the Son of God? Who is the Son of Man? I believe. Help my unbelief, Lord. We wrestle with the text because our hearts, oh, they're prone to wander, aren't they? But it's when we ponder and meditate on his divine power and the, his divine power and his own nature that our fears are, are driven out. If you, if you believe and you trust that he is who is demonstrated on the pages of this, of this scripture, that's when your fears are driven out and your faith is strengthened. And, and in the midst of fear, you begin to remind yourselves of these things. And it's like a, a weightlifter building up his muscles. You're exercising the muscle of faith. So Jesus' divine authority extends not just over the creation, but as we're now going to see, over the forces of evil. And this, too, we must rest in. We, we must rest in his authority so that as we see evil abound in the world, oh, we, we, we turn to Jesus. We exercise our faith in who he is. So Jesus now arrives on the other shore uh, the text tells us, in the region of the Gadarenes. This is Gentile territory, non-Jewish territory. This is um, the land of darkness, if you will. This is the place where pagans dwell, where those who do not know God, that would be the, the idea of, of a Jew during this time. And so it's no surprise then that, lo and behold, who comes out to greet him? Two demon-possessed men. And you can see the darkness just, just filling the pages of this, of this text. They come to meet with him, and where did they come out of? They come out of the tombs. Now, we, we, we bury people in the ground horizontally, and we go under. Well, in, in the hills of, the, uh, of, of Jerusalem and in this territory, they're more like hillsides with caves and, and tombs, just like Jesus had a tomb, and, and so they, they wouldn't have necessarily had rocks over them, and so these demon-possessed men, they, they go and they, they live in the tombs where the dead bodies are. Kind of creepy, huh? Perfect for this time of year, right? They come out, and we read that these men were so fierce, so scary that people would never go down there. They would never go down there. And you kind of see, just like in the storm, this is a great storm. No human can do anything about this. Well, no human could do anything about these men either. These things are impossible on human terms. And that's where, that when our fears come, there's nothing I could do. 
There's nothing that anybody can do. Exactly. Only he can do. And we have to remember that. So they come out. They live among the dead. They're so fierce that no one can come down this way. But they meet Jesus. In the previous scene, we were left with the question, who is this one? Right? Well, now we get the answer, but from a surprising source. The answer comes in the narrative from demons. They know who Jesus is, and they tremble. They tremble. They know who he is. Do you? Do you know who Jesus is? The demons said, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? They knew that that was more than just a title, that that, that meant something. They knew that Jesus is the appointed king and the Christ who has authority over them and will defeat them. That's why they're perplexed. They knew who Jesus was, but they didn't quite know the timing of these things. They didn't realize that there would be two comings. Why are you here before the time? To torment us? They know their day is coming. They know that their time is numbered. They know that there is a day of judgment by which they will be thrown into the abyss of hell. What are you doing here? You're, you're too soon. Now, this is remarkable. They begin to beg Jesus, let us go. Let us go. We know you're not going to let us stay in these two dudes. And so they, they see, Matthew tells us, in the distance there's a herd of pigs. Mark tells us there's, I think, 2,000 pigs. That tells you there's two men. Mark tells us we are a legion. A legion would have been 1,000. 2,000 demons in, in these people. They're going to go into these 2,000 pigs, or that's what their request is, which, again, in the Jewish mind, pigs are unclean. They're filthy. I mean, I see people, you know, like, oh, the little cute pig pigs, and they cuddle up with them, and they kiss all over them and all that. But when pigs are in, like, their normal habitat, they're gross. <laughs> they're dripping with snot. They look like a troll. And they are, they are, they are just, like, eating slop and trash. They, it's like, yes, that's a fitting habitat for these demons. They go into the pigs, just like the tombs. That's where they want to dwell and so Jesus, again, by the word of his power, he simply says, go. Go. But that's not all that simply happens. Once they enter the pigs, what do they do? Immediately. And just imagine being there on the scene. You see the pigs rolling around in the mug, mud, you know, doing their piggy things. And then all of a sudden, they start all squealing and running headlong down the bank, off the cliff, into the sea. Crazy stuff. What had Jesus done? What had Jesus done? He made his power over the forces of darkness visible. He's showing us who he is. He's giving us a foretaste of what he will do when he returns. When he comes with a word, the forces of darkness will be put to their end. Sadly, fear overwhelmed the herdsmen, though. Do you see that in the text? You see that in, uh, in verse 33? 
They see the power and wonder, but not like the disciples do they marvel. No, in their case, they flee. And they go into the city and they tell everyone, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. Now you can imagine this. Hey, everybody, you know the pigs that you invested in? The two demon-possessed guys are no longer demon-possessed. And all the demons went into our pigs. And this man, Jesus, sent them there and they, they went and they're all drowned. What? Yes, come and see. They're not wanting to really see Jesus. See, is this true? Our investment is gone. So he goes and tells everyone. They all come. And notice, verse 34, they came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. They begged Jesus to leave just like the demons did. They beg, get us away from you. Get away from us. What did they fear? Well, they loved pigs more than people. They loved pigs more than people. Two men were delivered from darkness, and all they could think about was our livelihood has literally gone down the drain. That's what they feared. Get out of here. You're going to ruin our lives, Jesus. They feared the loss of money, the loss of earthly possessions, economic loss. They feared economic loss more than Jesus who has the power to send them into the depths of the sea. You'd think that would come across your mind. If he was able to do that to the pigs, he could do that to me, but that doesn't cross their mind. They don't fear Jesus. They fear their, they fear their loss of pigs. And what we're reminded of and, and called to here is to rest and the reality that Jesus, who is he? He's the son of God. He's the victorious king who has authority over evil. He is the one who, as later he will describe, has entered the strong man's house and bound him so that he cannot stop Christ from doing his work. And this truth must grip us. It must produce in us a trust even as we watch evil abound. And does it not abound, right? It breaks your heart if you just watch what is happening locally, in our country, across the world. No one can stop this. But the Son of Man can. Son of Man can. And this is the truth that must grip us as we see evil abound. We must know that with one word, Jesus can say, go. In fact, that's exactly what the Scriptures tell us when he appears with the breath of his mouth. It'll be like a two-edged sword comes out. His words speak judgment, and Satan will be defeated. Evil will be no more. This weekend, I got word from one of our missionaries that some of the missionaries on the field right now are being interviewed by the governing officials. That's not good, typically. That means that they're beginning to notice the work that's going on. 
And it's of enough notice that, hey, we need to sit down and, and talk. They're on the front lines. Their, their, their work is conflicting with the forces of darkness. But this is the report that Pastor Gary gave of our missionaries' demeanor. They are respectful of the dangers, but not fearful. Trusting and praying. That's what the report was. Yes, these things are happening. We're, we're, we're aware of them. We're respectful of them, but we're not afraid. They trust. They know that Christ has authority over evil. And that whatever work that he has for them will be done. And when it's done, it'll be done. And Christ's work will be accomplished. By remembering that Jesus is victorious over the forces of evil, we'll grow in our faith. You begin, you've got to remind yourselves of these things. Or it will be hopeless and it will be despairing. But we must also grow as we rest in Jesus' authority over sin. Jesus' authority over sin. When Jesus returns to Capernaum, chapter 9, he's brought a paralytic lying in, in a bed. And the paralytic is brought, presumably, by his friends. In fact, it's the friend's faith that Jesus sees. You notice that's kind of peculiar. And be, they, into verse 2. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic. So he sees them carrying the friend, and then he speaks to the paralytic. Kind of interesting. It appears here that the man's paralysis is due as a consequence of his own sin. That seems to be what's going on. That's why Jesus says to him, first, take heart, my son. Which those are comforting words that you may want to hear when you're fearful. Maybe he was fearful that I'll never walk again. There's no undoing what I've done. I, I, we don't know the situation, but you could, in our day, you could imagine someone paralyzed due to their sin. Maybe they, they were speeding and they crashed and, and horrible things. I, obviously, that's not what happened here, but it seems to be a connection, and maybe the despair is just overwhelming, and, and he needs friends to bring him to Jesus. He needs friends to. And Jesus says, take heart, my son, your sin, your sins are forgiven. Now, it's important to note that here that not all sickness or health problems are directly related to our own sins. Don't, don't hear me saying that. Just like the authority that Jesus has demonstrated over creation, the storms, um, even over the, the demonic forces of darkness, here's what we do know. All trouble and brokenness is ultimately, though, a result of sin, okay? The groaning of creation, the expressions of evil, even the weakness of our own human bodies, the frailty that we experience, has its root in the curse of sin in the world. That's the main problem. And so we, also, we must always remember that there is a spiritual dimension at play when we view these things. And I think that's what we often forget because we're in a very sophisticated, scientific culture. We can give an explanation 
in the physical realm for everything that has happened. Oh, well, the reason there was a storm is because, do you not know, the, the pressure was changing and the, the cold front was coming in? We know why that happened. But do you know why the cold front was coming in and why things are the way they are? And yeah, you maybe continually go back and back and explain, explain, explain. Or all oh, those demoniacs, they're so primitive. They think it was demons who was doing this. But if we could just, we could do a brain scan and we could see all the chemical imbalances that is occurring here. And we, we could just give them these meds and it would have been just fine. They just don't know what happened. Well, just like here, we could give a medical diagnosis that this man, well, this is why he's paralyzed. His, his legs were broken. But Jesus sees what's the true result. We are only seeing half the equation, brothers and sisters, when these things trouble hits. And all we might be able to give all sorts of answers. But what we're reminded of here is there is another half to the equation. There is a spiritual dynamic at work in the world. There are forces of evil. There's the curse Now, that doesn't mean that all we know exactly how sin is working and how demonic influence is happening. Sometimes it's possession. Sometimes it's just you believe falsehood, and it brings destruction to your life, and you do drugs, and it makes you go crazy. But that's still, nevertheless, the power of the evil one in their life, isn't it? I think we just assume, oh, Jesus doesn't have a solution to the problems of this world. That's just because you don't know the real problems in this world. The real problem is sin. And it's a power. It's a force. And it's in us. And this is what Jesus reveals here with the paralytic. In his case, his sins are the cause of his paralysis. Now, you have another case. Man is born blind. The disciples say, is this because of his sin or his parents? Neither. Actually, it's because God wanted to be glorified. It's spiritual dynamic. He could have gone to the medical doctor and gotten a diagnosis and said, oh, that's why. No, there's more to it. But it's interesting that Jesus shows mercy having seen his friend's faith, the paralytic's friend's faith, rather than his own. Commenting on this peculiarity, Martin Luther makes this observation. I got the quote on the screen. In just a minute, yeah. They, that's the friends, Win for this sick man with their faith, a faith of his own. For this sick man at first had no faith, but afterwards he heard the word. And Christ poured into the man a faith of the man's own, awakened him with the gospel. Jesus is accustomed to pour faith in through the word. What's Luther getting at? So his friend's faith, which Jesus saw it's their faith that motivated them to bring the paralytic to Jesus. And it's the paralytic's encounter with Jesus that when he hears the voice, take heart, my son, that he too comes to believe. Jesus is preaching at this time, Mark tells us. They bring him to hear the words of Jesus. Sometimes our faith is weakened by our sin. Sometimes we are so weak, sometimes we are so small on our faith that we isolate ourselves, we withdraw. Our friends come knocking at the door, they give the phone call, and, the, and, the, and that's, that's opportunity for you to lean upon their faith as they bring you. 
when you can't bring yourself. Don't let discouragement and fear keep you from coming to Jesus. A hopelessness that my circumstances are never going to change. And you sit there in that dark well focusing on those things. And sometimes you get so far down that you cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. And you are just as paralyzed as this man. And sometimes you need your friends to bring you to Jesus. To rest in their faith until you hear the word and you are granted a faith of your own. Faith is actually drawing near to Jesus. Some of you just need to say, take me to him. Take me to him. That's a small mustard seed. Because it's only by faith that you'll draw near to Christ. And you cannot let your fear keep you from fleeing, keep you fleeing from him. And I hear it so often. Oh, I'm just in the dark place. I just need time alone. No, you don't. You're fleeing. Your fears have gripped you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, of course, the religious leaders didn't like this. They, what do they do? They disapprove. They disbelieve, right? They don't believe. And we can surmise maybe what their fears would be. If they were to follow Jesus, they'd fear the loss of their power, uh, the shot to their own pride that they got this. But as we even saw in, in the Sermon on the Mount, that they love the praises of men. But they don't believe. They see Jesus speak to this man. They don't believe and they murmur to themselves. They think to themselves, this man is a blasphemer. Why? Because he's doing what only God can do. That is, forgive sins. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, notice he calls them evil thoughts, verse 4. Why do you think evil in your hearts? Did you know that when you do not think faithfully, you do not think positively about what is true about Christ, that that opposite is evil thoughts? That's the power of sin and fear driving you away. As the scripture says, anything that is not of faith is what? Sin. And you're seeing this on display. Their lack of faith is sin. It's evil. And some of us just think, I can just dwell there and it'll have no effect on me. You're thinking evil thoughts. And so Jesus says to them, so which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and take up your bed? There's a bit of irony in this question. At one level, yeah, sure, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? because you can't really see it. And it's harder to say, rise, take up your bed, but the reality is it's actually harder for your sins to be taken away than for him to make this man walk. But he's, he's answering the question or posing the question from their point of view. And so the reality here that Jesus is wanting to show is that I am the one with divine authority so that you may know what the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he makes visible the spiritual reality that has occurred. And he says, rise and walk. Rise and walk. And go home. And remarkably, the paralytic does just that. 
He obeys Jesus. He rises up, takes his bed, and he goes home. His sins have been forgiven and the consequences of them have been reversed. And fear comes over the people. Do you see that at the end of verse 8? And when the crowd saw that they were afraid, some of your translations may say they're filled with awe, they wondered. That's, that's because this fear is a godly fear. There's two types of fear in Scripture. There's an ungodly fear that drives you away from the Lord, and then there's a godly fear, an awe, a wonder. That's what the disciples expressed when they marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey? They're now marveling that God has given such authority to Jesus to forgive sins. It's by remembering accounts like these. This is why these things are written down for us. So that we can rest in the truth that if you have come to Christ, all your sins are forgiven as well. Now maybe temptations and sins are weighing you down. Maybe you're here this morning and you have messed up royally. Maybe you look at your circumstances and your sins and you're just like, there's no hope for me. There's no undoing what I have done. It has compounded and compounded, and I have not only ruined my life, but I've ruined those around me. Perhaps Satan's using that or, or your past right now to condemn you, bringing up the things that you have done, or, or placing before you your current failures to cause you to doubt that the Father loves you. It's in times like these, that we must rest in the truth that he has authority over your sin. He has authority over it. And by his word, he declares that if, if you have called upon his name and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He will cleanse all your sins away. We're reminded that we have Jesus, the righteous one, who is our mediator, who stands between us and the Heavenly Father, advocating for us. And so you and I must preach to ourselves these truths daily. Daily you must, because we'll forget them. You wage war against sin, which is waging war against your soul, by preaching these truths to yourself every day. You live with them. You hold fast to them. And you say, I, I'm not going to let my, my sins condemn me because they were condemned at the cross. So in each of these accounts, we're reminded here, brothers and sisters, of Jesus' authority, his power, his power over the creation, his power over the forces of darkness, and even the curse of sin. Now you might be saying, yeah, 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 but they got the storm calmed. The demons were cast out. Uh, the man began walking. What hope is there for me? I want my consequences gone. I come to his word being reminded that when he comes again, he will speak a word and the creation will be subdued. He will speak a word, and Satan and his demons will be bound in the abyss of hell. And he will speak a word, and we will rise 
we will walk. And guess what, brothers and sisters? We'll go home. We'll go home. That's the truth that we are to believe. And everything in your life and the forces of darkness and the curse of sin and the chaos of this world will either drive your fears and lead you away from Christ. Or you will cling tightly to these promises and your faith will drive out those fears. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I imagine there are some here who are gripped by fear. And I pray that you would be close to them. I pray that today that they would respond in, in whatever faith, mustard seed of faith they may have. Say, I believe, help my unbelief. Or that they would be humble enough to lean upon their friends who may be stronger than they. Or maybe they don't have any friends today and they don't have faith, but Lord, I pray that you would grant it now. Grant them faith and repentance and that they would trust Christ. And they would lay hold of the promises that are ours for all the saints that as we read, that we will receive a kingdom that lasts forever, forever and ever.